Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard Love You More by Dream Wife yet, but yo. That's my joy. That's my joy. Hey, yo, displace the guilt. What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As as always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I get to chat with Frank Brown, formerly of the legendary Philly bands Flight of Mavis and Buzz Zemer, and currently of Travel Lanes. He came on the show to discuss the new Buzz Zemer release, Lost and Found, and so much more. And that is coming up in a minute. But first, hola, como esta mi amigos? Hope you guys had a fine and productive time since last we spoke. Yeah, I'm feeling good. This week was the Philly Music Fest, and I hope you guys were able to catch some of it. I made it out last Wednesday and got to see our pals and former guests Ryan Gilfillian and Julia Pratt. And then, just now, Sunday, I got home from the amazing set that Charlie Hall put together, covering Herbie Hancock's Headhunters in its entirety. Wow, 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 it was so incredible! Big shouts out and love to Jen and Greg Seltzer for doing all they do and putting on just another stellar fest. And then Saturday, Saturday was Inside Hustle, which is the networking event that the Philly Music Fest puts on in conjunction with WXPN. And it was great to get out and see some old friends and to make some new ones. So much love to Jason from the Tisberries and the Describers, Phil from the Your Next Favorite Band podcast, Scarlett from Sugar We're Going In, Radio Sarah from WMMR, Mike V and Bruce Warren from WXPN, The Great Shug Daniels, Augusta from Gladdy, Gina from Velvet Rouge, and Rachel Ann Dobkin. It was such a great hang and so cool to be able to meet some of these people in person for the first time. Then on my way home, I dropped by Main Street Music in Maniunk to pick up the Lost and Found vinyl, and I got to chat with Pat, who comes up a bunch in my conversation with Frank here. It was just an awesome weekend. And speaking of awesome weekends, on the 28th of October, you can catch me at McAllister's Brewing in North Wales for a Halloween-themed trivia night, as well as a costume contest. So, Get dressed up and come on out and let me serve you some questions up for a fun night of spooky. All right. Follow us on the socials at Yo That's My John. Sign up for the mailing list at www.yothatsmyjohn.com and all that good gravy. We got one brief ad break and then we'll jump into my interview with Frank Brown. Yo, That's My John is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, it is festival season. And you know me, I love a festival. And the secret to enjoying a festival is to stay hydrated. 
Liquid IV has you covered while you prep before, power through to the headliner, and recover after the weekend. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. Man, I love Liquid IV. It comes in a convenient packaging, and it's tasty. When you see me at the Exponential Music Festival this fall, you know that I will have Liquid IV on me. And it comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. All right, strawberry used to be my favorite, but they have this new one. It's strawberry lemonade, and it is a banger. One stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. So Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. Okay, and you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code YTMJ at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using the promo code YTMJ at liquidiv.com. Do it, and let's get our fests on. My guest today has been a mainstay in the Philly music scene forever, starting in the late 80s with the three-piece Flight of Mavis. From the remnants of Mavis, my guest started a new project, bringing in Philly legend Tommy Conwell on guitar and launching Buzz Zemer, a power-pop band with infectious hooks and driving guitars. Unreleased tracks from the Buzz Zemer project make up the latest release, Lost and Found, a collection of material recorded between 1993 and 1997 that has never seen the light of day. Until now. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Frank Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Frank Brown. Frank, thank you for joining me on Yo, That's My John. Why, thank you. <laughs> nice to see you, Nate. So uh, I'm super excited to have this uh, conversation with you uh, because you are a part of Philly music history uh, uh, to me. And and I, I look at you um, with admiring eyes of everything uh, you've created. And I am just super stoked to have this chat, man. I appreciate it. So um, just to start off, uh, why don't you tell these folks a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up? All right. I'm Frank Brown. I grew up in Horsham, uh, moved to Philly, uh, of course, during the Flight of Mavis years, which is the 80s. I currently live in Havertown, but but yes, I grew up in Horsham. Okay, right on. Uh, right. Oh, what was that? Where, don't you live in Ambler? I am in Ambler, yes. I was just going to say, very, very neighboringly. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, when you were a kid, what kind of music was playing around the house? What did your folks listen to? You know, I don't remember so much my parents playing music besides the radio, but we went in the car so many times it was just sitting in the back seat and hearing seventies radio, which was as great as it comes being that I was born in 65. So you're just having all the seventies, just like the greatest stuff. 
And that was mostly what I listened to. What? Uh, but, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, what did you gravitate to, uh, like, w- 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 artist-wise? Oh, well, if I go for when I finally started choosing, but it was definitely the Beatles. And But when you were listening to 70s radio, you had they were already broken up, so you just got to hear all the solo stuff. But then that was good, too, because you heard a Lennon song, a McCartney song, and all that. But you also got all the Philly stuff, the Philly international stuff, like you were sitting back there, me and Mrs. Jones. And I was just like, the story, what is this? What, what's going on here? It doesn't make sense to an eight-year-old. Yeah. Um, did, uh, did you take um, lessons like when you were a kid? Did you start with uh, an instrument in school or something? Or? or I played trumpet in fourth grade. Hey, look at that. <laughs> I played trumpet all the way up to like 10th grade. But as soon as I discovered the guitar, which was probably seventh or eighth grade, seventh grade, absolutely. Everything, the trumpet went aside. I would just go, I can't find my mouthpiece. And I'd be uh, playing a guitar in the back room. That's awesome. Um, like, uh, what, what was it? What was, I mean, obviously the guitar is the coolest instrument in the world. Like, uh, I'm a guitar player myself. Um, but like, what was it that drew you to it? Like, what was just the, the magic of rock? Uh, as far as what the magic of trumpet? No, no, or no, no just guitar in itself. Oh, guitar was rock, absolutely. No, I was just from a very young age. I just loved music. It just it just hit me for some reason. Yeah, but my gosh, the concept of just getting a guitar and you learn three chords and you can like play a song. That's it's an amazing thing, and then you just take it from there. Can you still remember the first song you learned how to play? Oh, what would be the first song I learned how to play? You know what? I probably, it was like Ramones, without a doubt. The idea I could play side one of Ramones Leave Home. And I knew all the chords. It was just like, this is great. I can do it. But, you know, we I was like in a band by the time I was in seventh grade. The band was called uh, Screaming Monks, which was one of the best names out of all the names of my bands. And we would play, and we got to do this in eighth, ninth grade. We'll, we'll still say that might have been the high point of the live performance that we played at our school. And we were playing Can't Explain all day, all the night. But we were also playing Blitzkrieg Bop, which was just it was amazing to have that go over because most people didn't know that song. But, oh, my gosh, it was a big moment. Uh, what was your entry point to the Ramones then? Because that is, it seems a lot for a seventh grader. Oh my gosh. Well, the guy, Dave McElroy, who was in my band, he was my uh, next door neighbor. And we made a bet because you didn't hear punk rock. You didn't hear it on the radio. So you had to go, all right, I'll buy a record if you buy a record. So he bought Ramones Rocket to Rush. And I still say, hearing Creighton Hop for the first time, I was just like, oh my gosh. It was just like, blew my mind and I was stuck having to buy Elvis Costello but then I got this year's model and that blew my mind it was just oh it was such great music and none of it was being played yeah that's all that's awesome to to find out what was what was your local record shop uh when you were a kid oh Happer Music Joe Solano I spent much time just uh, my mom would have to go to the store around the corner and I'd, jo- I'd just walk in there. I'd be looking at his whole any- anything there. I couldn't afford anything, but 
you know, that was where I went. I was going to say, those are the things I miss, man. I miss record stores like that. Oh, well, let alone record sellers, the big record store in my life, let alone Main Street Music. That's another big record store. They're still they're still there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definite shout out to, to, to Main Street. Yeah, I love love that store. Yeah, me too. Um, so so that first band um, you were playing covers. Uh, when did you start kind of writing songs? Uh, pretty close to that period of time. They were bad. <laughs> but yeah, certainly. You know what? I remember a Gene Simmons uh, interview, and he said, you can write a song with three chords. So I go, all right, I can do that. So I started writing songs back then. and But it, it was like, I knew they were not that good until I got to later in life where I was able to. It wasn't so serious. Some of those old songs were, when you're trying to write like the police, it's it's not good. I know it well. I got folders full of embarrassments like that of just uh, oh, me too. yeah, they're they're behind me, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, when when did it start to click though? Uh, writing songs, like when can you think of the first song you wrote that like you were like, oh, okay, this is this is a thing. Well, I had a song called "I Do Anything," which was from twelfth grade, and we played that live, and it was good. But I know when it came to like my first band, Mavis that I wrote a song called Don't You Think, which was sort of humorous. And I just liked it because it was, it just was a good pop song. And I said, this is the kind of songs I want to write. As opposed to taking yourself too seriously and you're just like, ah, I'm not in the mood to do that. It's not, it's, it's better with a band to have some fun. Yeah, the, the uh, you, when when you start uh, uh, Flight of Mavis and all, like your your hook sensibility is just like a fine tooth comb, man. Like, I mean, like you just nail it. And uh, so, like, what, what what was kind of the inspiration for? Um, like, what were you listening to that was kind of inspiring that? Well, that was all part of uh, you know you got the whole REM, Husker Du. All that, all those bands, even though we don't sound, we don't sound as rock as that, perhaps, well, R.E.M. we did. But um, the record was supposed to sound that much louder. And then all of a sudden, we got rid of all the loud guitars because they sounded horrible. And the record sounds what it sounds like because of that decision. But uh, yeah, I was just trying to fit in with all those people, the Minutemen. Oh, my gosh, it was such a great period of time. It really was like uh, I, I I swear that like I, I I say this a lot, but like the sound of jangly guitars like will never grow old to me. Like it's just it's of a time, but it's still the best music, you know. And yeah, I can't figure this uh, concept of time because I really think it's amazing how long this genre of music has lasted. Because there's only so many chords, but yet we're still going trying to write that great three minute pop song. It's so true. Um, you, uh, you mentioned REM, and I, I got to ask, um, any idea how the REM rumor got started about uh, Flight of Mavis? No, you know your stuff. Yeah, um, that came because we had a publicist at the time who got something into page six of the New York Post, and we were playing CBGBs. And it said, you must go, go see Flight of Mavis they sound like REM, sort of. So then NME, uh, a British magazine, talked about REM touring under pseudonyms. 
and they mentioned three names, and one of them was Blighty Mavis. So we get to Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina, and the pizza place next door had on their board Flight of Mavis's REM. And we were just like, and the show sold out. And we're just like, oh no. Because you go, they're coming to see REM. And then it's us. But it actually worked out really well. It was, that, it was it, you know, we were worried about it, but then the crowd was great with us. That's and awesome. Reavers, yeah. And the Reavers, who we were opening for, uh, they started to lose their patience a bit during their show, but you know, sometimes it's good to be the opener. Um, so you, you obviously able to turn fans and kind of uh, catapult off of that too, as well, right? Well, we've been always had to do that. It was just all the time, which is great. I always love. I mean, when you had to play in front of a whole bunch of people who had no idea who you are, and then if you can get something happening. That's a that's a great it's a great accomplishment. We would do it a lot. It's awesome. The um uh, so uh, the EP came first. Is that is that right or uh, do I have my oh, dates right? Oh, Mavis is part. No, the full record. Oh, came the full first. record. Okay. And it came sort of quick to others because we gave cassettes of four tracks we were making to the guys at uh record seller to Neil Drucker, Pat Feeney. And uh, they really liked it. And that shocked us because we knew they, well, of course they had good taste. So we, they really start going, well, what do you think about having a record? And we're just like, oh my gosh, what a, what a concept. And then, so we're not playing that long in Philadelphia. I think, you know, six months to a year and we had a record out and it was shocking. And then the EP came after that. Yeah. Okay, so so you guys were the first uh, artists on Record Seller then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, yeah. It was just that was a surprise. We just wanted to hear if they liked it, and it, and it was more like a buddy of mine told Pat that you know that guy Frank actually likes good songs, and so they liked it. We took it from there. Did they ever say what it was like? Uh, was did, what their plan was, or was it just like let's get that out there, like let's let's help you make that? Or, well, yeah, the plan was you know they were as much fans of music as we were, so they saw they are sitting here in this record store selling all these independent records, and they know the scene that's happening, and they said, "Wow, we could be a part of it," and Neil put that record out. It's awesome. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've often said that like, uh, um, a, a lot of these kind of, um, boom towns, all they need is like one really good indie, indie label, you know, like. Sure. Right. It's true. It's just, you know that because they had Minneapolis. Oh, they got the Minneapolis team. Athens. Oh my gosh. Athens. It's the hotbed and all that stuff. And it's true. And we had that. We were part of a scene here where we had like Nixon's head. We had electric love muffin and napalm Sunday. They were just a lot of people. Yeah. The, um, the, 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 that scene, um, I was, I, 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 Oh, it's one of my great regrets is that I'm like five years too young to have truly enjoyed the scene when it was great. I got to see like the, the end of it, you know, like, <laughs> but right. it's all your age. It's, it's wherever you are at that time. I can you, say I missed five years. So. 
Yeah. Um, so like, um, you, you mentioned some of them, but, uh, like what, what, um, what venues were like in the area where you guys kind of, uh, were your regular oh, spots? Well, you had, it was, you know, the beginning, as far as you had Philadelphia, you had Kyber Pass, you had Bacchanal, Bacchanal, which was on like 13th and South. And that neighborhood was a lot different back then. And there was these, this place we used to play, this Jack Stretches, which was, I guess, around Spring Garden and was it, 15th or something. But that was a crazy place that we they just let us come in and play. And I, I got to say, it was a bunch of underage people playing there. doesn't matter now. It's no longer around. But it was where we really learned because we were doing three sets some nights and all that. But you had that. You had this place, Tops which was just, you know, it had a guy with uh, a volume. He, he, if you were too loud, he just had this, this counter that measured the volume of everything. You're too loud. We just had to turn down. We had to, you know, appease everybody as far as that goes. But there were odd. Oh, J.C. Dobbs. Oh, my gosh. Dobbs was it. That was great. Um, so I, you, you were in the Dobbs heyday, so I have to ask what I ask every guest who's been in the Dobbs heyday. Were you there for the Nirvana show? Guess what? No, but Napalm Sunday opened for Nirvana. Yeah, they, they actually were. They are the band that got to do that as far as that goes. But, you know, we got to meet a whole bunch of people back there, too. Like a fun house for us. You know, we just had that period of time. We just like whoever was coming through, we got to meet a whole bunch of different bands and just hung out. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, was was it um, was it with Mavis that you um, played with Uncle Tupelo? Because that's another dream. Oh of mine. yeah! Oh my gosh! Absolutely! That's a good one. Well, Uncle Tupelo, we both wound up playing this college together. Oh, and I forget. Oh, where's Pat? Pat Fiani would know that. But uh, so we met each other there, but we didn't know that much about them. But we got along great. But we were forced to play at two different places. Like they were playing with another band, we were playing with another band, and they were like, "Oh, you should be playing with us," as far as that goes. And just between music and laughs, it was just like a really good time. I mean, they were so young, you know, Jeff Tweedy and you know, Jay Farrar. And they they were such a good band. Oh my gosh, as a three piece too. Yeah, that's that's one of my um, that's one of my north stars is uh, Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, uh, Sunvolt. Like those are. Oh my gosh, absolutely! And it was it, it was to know them just in their infancy and to see what's become of it. It's pretty amazing. Um, so um, I, I also have to ask uh, 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 Sinead O'Connor, um, who recently passed. You got to do a few dates uh, with her, right? As support. Uh huh. That was that was shocking. We. Um, First opened this date in Maryland, you know, one of those places like the man, you know, that size, which was the biggest place we played at the time. So, uh, but we, we were only supposed to do that date and we got done and their tour manager goes, Hey, uh, we're going to see if we can come up with some more dates for you guys. That was great. And we wound up doing like seven or eight dates. And it was something to see, you know, you're just like, she was just at the top. That was her moment. And she was great every night. 
you know, and she was like, I remember we played this like amusement park together and she got uh, dressed up, like dressed up as far as like um, wore a wig and all this so she could go on the rides and not for nobody to know who she was as far as that goes. But that was uh, that was a high mark for us. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a that's absolute tragedy uh, uh, with a loss there. Like just what a, a immaculate talent. Yeah, it, it really was obvious. And I didn't know a lot about her at that time. But man, we watched every show and you just were like, wow. I mean, she just took it and, you know, it's just like just a spark. I don't know. And it, they had the guitarist, Marco Peroni. Do you know him? Who no. he, is? he played in Adam and the Ants and any a number of the beginning punk rock bands. And he was, he was a, he treated us well, but I didn't know he was such a big deal until after we were done. I was like, Oh my gosh. Well, we knew Adam and the Ants. That was about it. That's wild. Um, so, uh, one other, um, very random, uh, flight of Mavis, uh, question I have to ask, um, that I, I couldn't seem to find any answer to, which is, um, how do you end up on the soundtrack to an Olsen twins film? how how does that happen well that was our publicist michael pagnata and he was only he was with us for a short period of time around schools as far as that goes but he wound up uh being a part of all this different stuff out there as far as soundtracks and all that you're it's just being in the right place at the right time yeah that that still is a shock yeah it's 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 like uh as i was doing my research when that popped up i was like oh that's really um out of left field i did not expect that left field and everyone goes how does that happen but there is a bit of you know who you know and where they go because you just you know them for a certain period of time some people go into great things it's awesome that he thought of you. Very awesome. So, um, so that starts to to wind down, and it and it kind of uh, molds into Buzz Zemer um, teaming up also with uh, the great Tommy Conwell. Um, how how did bringing Tommy into the fold? How did that come about? That's crazy too. Um, we were playing uh, Buzz Zemer, and just couldn't seem to get anything really going it's amazing how we're in flight of mavis and everything is happening you just go oh we'll just do another band and everything's gonna be great and no as soon as you get rid of that name you got to start all over again as far as that and uh tom got a tape through pat feeney at uh main street music and he got the demo tape which is on this lost and found collection that's coming out this friday uh but he goes uh, I wish they asked me and we're just like, what? <laughs> That's ridiculous. And our guitarist at the time who, uh, was playing with the rolling hayseeds another great band, uh, he couldn't make the date because he was playing with the hayseeds and we go, Oh my gosh, let's, let's ask Conwell to fit in, fill in. And he did. And it was, it, it just changed everything. Yeah, what um like uh um just you know just a incredible guitar player, um but beyond that, what 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 do you feel he kind of brought to the uh, brought to the punch? He brought a lot to the bunch. He there was this one song I had called Crush, and I had like two, three other people play it, and nobody played it exactly the way I wanted to hear. It. 
and Tom, when he played it in, you know, and it just like, that makes sense. But it was also, Tom just had experienced so much more than we had. And it's really the same three, uh, Ken Buna, Dave McElroy, that I played with in Mavis that wind up being in Buzz Zemer. And for us, we're not the showboats. We're not that much. Uh, we try our best. But Tom, man, you, you just, you can't take his eye, your eyes off him. Man. And he's just, he's a great player and he just loves it. And he would attack things better than we would. Like, I remember we had to play this Best Buy. The opening of a Best Buy that tells you how long. And uh, so we're going, great, we got to play a Best Buy. He doesn't care. He's just there. He's in a great mood. And it just like, it helped us. We just, it, he fit in well because also the humor factor. We just, you know, a lot of, it's amazing how much music goes along with trying to get a bunch of laughs. Yeah, totally. The, um, uh, did you, um, not just a, a, a name change and, you know, bringing in Tom, but like, um, did you approach the writing for Buzz Zemer differently than you did uh, earlier in Flight of Mavis or? Yeah, it probably definitely made everything. It just, the way my writing goes, you know, I'm a big fan of all music and I just would learn more and it would go this way. It would go that way. Plus just everything that was changing during that period of time. But, you know, I, I definitely probably changed it a bit with him in mind and what he could do, but he also can do so much. I mean, he's still, like if you listen to the Buzz Zimmer stuff, it goes all around. It can be, you know, country-ish. It can be rockish. It can be rock and rollish. It's just like he's able to do all that stuff, and that's and that doesn't limit you. And you just get to just have fun. Yeah, I don't, I, and you know, I think one of the things like uh, I, I was spending some time uh, watching the um, the. Um, live from the TLA that's still up on YouTube and like, you know, beyond being a, a, a great band and a great songwriter and, you know, all of that being represented on tape, like you guys sounded amazing live. Like you could reproduce it well. Yeah. I'm really happy that that exists. There's one thing to have somebody film it, but to actually play as well as we did while it was being filmed and it lives on, uh, it's just, that's great. As opposed to like now, anyone can hold up their phone and it can live forever. You just like that was professionally done. The sound is great, and it was a good show. Yeah, you know it's really funny you say about someone holding up their phone. Is uh, I had a conversation with a guy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his name's uh, Sean James, and he has like a solo thing. And um, he ended up on a big video game uh, that uh, Sony PlayStation put out. And I asked him how that happened, and it turned out like the um, the people making the game wanted a Johnny Cash song, but they couldn't clear the rights to Johnny Cash. So they went on YouTube and found a video of him doing a Johnny Cash cover at a house party that someone just happened to record and upload. And then that's, that's how they found him. That is amazing. Now, when that stuff happens, that's the brilliant of, of this period of time. It, it is amazing. You just go, all right, we can't afford that, but we found, you just search for it. It lives out there. It's, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so, so you guys um, put that together, and, and you and you put um, Plaything out um, in '96. So, all this lost and found stuff—does uh, it predate, or is it throughout the entire? 
it's the entire like it starts for the like we go the muddy middle between mavis and buzz but then it also includes like uh the latter day buzz uh from like 97 as far as that goes so it has it has it's like everything that just didn't happen but yet it's all very worthy as far as that goes i, I you know the first stuff there's a lot of stuff with this guy kevin salem uh who plays guitar on like at least five tracks and he was amazing i mean this guy used to play he played in freedy's band freedy johnson he played uh dump truck and all that and he showed up and all his parts he never heard this stuff we were just we would play him a song and he would play and he would come up with something and it was just watching a guy just hit the mark for each song he he was just like that's an amazing thing to capture i'm very happy to have that but you know we couldn't hold on to him as a guitarist so we never really got to play with him that much yeah um so, so oh go ahead no, seven hours. That's about it. You go, oh. Kevin's seven hours. All right. Very good. Um, so, um, you know, that's the play, uh, play thing comes out in 96 delusions of grandeur 98. What kind of, uh, what kind of decided to, uh, stop doing it, uh, with that? I, well, it's called getting old and just, uh, things weren't happening as much as they were previously. You know, I had, married with kids you're just like you, you got to spend time with the kids you know that's just it it's very hard to do both things so so then it's like uh quiet for a bunch of years but then uh travel lanes happens what was what was the uh, uh desire to get back into it was it just the kids got old enough that's right <laughs> that's exactly it all of a sudden you get to this point well i guess i'm not as needed as i used to be and uh you just, I still wrote songs during that period of time. And I actually went through Craigslist and lucky me. And I just, I didn't really look for anything. I just saw this person's ad and it was John Beister, the drummer. And he just listed all these great people. And I was just like, wow, if you're just like half as good as these people, it's, it's gotta be something. But I knew him previously. And so we were able, we just started putting something together then. The, um, uh, you know, uh, so then that's like, uh, around 2013, somewhere around there due to, uh, two albums, uh, within two years there. And then a little bit of a pause. Um, yeah. and, and then, uh, and then on comes out in 2020 end of February. And then, um, what you tour that? Oh, I guess not. <laughs> no, the world falls apart. The record release for that was within weeks of everything falling apart. I mean, it was, seemed like the last, like we did this record release at 118, and it was just, it was a great vibe, but then everything ended. It was just like, all right, well, that just fits into the story. Yeah. Uh, was it like, uh, the, so was there anything you could even really like, I, I, I always find that time period, like obviously was, uh, uh, hectic and crazy and confusing for everyone. But like when you put that much time into a project and, and it's right when, I mean, like, do do you still continue to try to push it from your home or, or was it just like, oh, well, I guess that's a loss or. It was a bit of both. <laughs> it's just like you tried back then. I mean, you tried throughout that whole period of time. I couldn't get into the whole concept. Everyone was putting everything out there. Everyone's doing these shows. And, you know, I just wasn't doing that. I just didn't feel like sitting in front of, uh, well, 
a Zoom and playing guitar or something like that. I just sort of, I really did take it. I go, yep, that's it. <laughs> it's done. It's a bummer, but man. Still get, you know, we still play around. It's still good. We still get to have fun. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, um, and, and also what, 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 you put out, uh, two songs last year, uh, through yeah. that as well. Right. Two songs, the last two singles. Yeah. We're, I'm at this point right now, like this year I just took as I'm going to enjoy my past. Uh, we wound up having a flight of Mavis reunion in June and that, you know, we, we did that on a dare and, you know, we put tickets they sold out in a day and it was you know i just wanted a chance to play with dave and ken and we didn't get to do anything besides practice the day before and then play that gig so we got to have fun doing that and then i'm spending time on uh promoting lost and found as much as i can because i'm very happy with it like it's it's something uh, it's a lot of stuff because you get the record but there's also like five extra tunes on it so it's like really cleaning out the closet. Yeah, the um, I think I've heard three or four songs off of it so far, and it's it's absolutely incredible. And like, do, it doesn't sound like outtakes. Like it does, it doesn't sound like un, you know, it sounds like just full material. Like, oh, I like that. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's you know, I it's hard. I can dismiss stuff as easy as anybody, but there was something that was so valid about that stuff that it stuck around. And I always had it on an iPod and, uh, and I would listen to it and I go, this stuff is just worthy and nobody's going to hear it because when you recorded back then, you didn't have the internet. You didn't, you couldn't just go, well, I'm going to post these four songs. And so they just, you know, lasted on cassettes and just files that were shared perhaps between us. What um what what was the 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 kickoff of the idea of putting the project together? Well, I was uh, digitizing some of my cassettes, and I found some stuff from early s- sessions. The whole all of these sessions we did with Adam Redlasses, who was just a great producer, used to be in Queen Village. He, like some of this stuff is recorded in a basement, but you wouldn't know it. He he just did, and that's some of the best sound stuff. And so anyway, I was digitizing and I came on to Come On If You Can, which is one of uh, the first single that we actually released. And I sent it to Pat, but I really just sent it to go, listen to this. This is really good. And Pat just took it and then he started hearing other stuff. And then he's the more the catalyst for having this all come together. I did not have any big vision of what I was going to do with this stuff. It was really just, wow, this stuff still exists. You know, maybe we could put it on Bandcamp or something like that. But Pat took it a step further and thought it was worthy enough. He wanted to be on vinyl and CDs and all that stuff. And I'm just like, I am so happy he decided to do that. Is is this the first thing that Main Street Music is putting out? This is their very first release. Very first release. We wish them well. But it- they have other ideas of stuff, too. I mean... That's a big, you know, he just loves music. He's just crazy. And it's, all the people, all the great people at Main Street Music, it's just been so helpful. You know, I'm, you know, you know, Tyler, the Tisper, he's, he's been incredibly helpful. I appreciate it. I want Tyler to write a um, Philly um, pop 
music um, book because there is no one who knows the 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 pop history of this town as well as that man. Really, he has his uh, his he knows uh, the past as much. He I'm does. telling. You, there is such a history for Philadelphia. There really is, and like uh, like I said earlier, like you 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 play a very important uh, role in it. Um, revisiting all of this stuff um, has it given you any idea or any thoughts of um, maybe trying to do another Buzz Zemer project? Or, or I have no idea if that could happen. Like you have now, um, you know, Dave lives in Virginia, Ken lives in Nashville. Um, Tom is around here, but Tom's, Tom's got, he doesn't have to worry about doing anything and he should be, he just has to pick up his guitar and he's Tommy Conwell where for us to do stuff, it's like a big to do. And I couldn't imagine that happening, but you know, you never know. Uh, what about, uh, any, any plans for a, uh, one-off show or anything to support the, uh, not, not currently. No, I, I don't know how that's going to go in any sort of way. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, uh, travel lane still exists then is that, is that still the, the dominant? Yeah. We got to play, uh, some dates like, uh, Haddon Heights, New Jersey, and then played Ardmore at that rock and ride just like, uh, the other weekend as far as that goes. But yeah, we'll be doing something. Very don't cool. Have- coming up currently as far as that goes our fall is just sort of we sort of got done all this summer stuff and you know i'm gonna do whatever i can to help uh with lost and found and take it from there one of one of the things uh i i always like to look at uh patterns and stuff like that it's probably um part adhd and maybe a little touch on the spectrum or something who knows but i like to identify patterns and i noticed that um you work very well in um two-year cycles it seems like uh like the 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 mavis uh album and uh and ep were two years the buzz zemer projects two years the early uh travel lanes two years what what's up with two years i don't know no, but that you are absolutely observant when it comes to that because that's what it is and i've been thinking it's like you know yeah traveling's had their burst for like you know two years or something but we've been together oh my gosh what is it now 10 years practically like you know that's two times than the other two bands combined but you know flight of mavis started you know they were my high school band too so we've been as much as we were only together for like two three years as far as that for doing that output, there was certainly a long period of time, you know, yeah. playing flash covers, petty covers, you know. Um, can you do? Can you remember uh, the first show you guys played as uh, Flight of Mavis? Yeah, first show was Revival. How about Revival? I don't know if you remember that place. It was just like it looked like a Roman. It was it just pillars outside. It was just this crazy place, and it was just. You walked in, you could do anything. It was a lot of fun. That was that's that was crazy. That's wild. Had a decent crowd there as far as that goes. You know, a lot of friends came out and that was the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, of all the projects, um uh, what was uh, what's been the most exciting um piece of of your of your music history, uh either in support of somebody or, you know, personal achievement or I don't know what's personal achievement. <laughs> you just go, you know, the amount that we got to tour, tour in Flight of Mavis, like in Flight of Mavis was, you know, 
just the three of us as far as Ken, Dave, and Pat Feeney toured with us a lot of that time because Neil Drucker was very kind to uh, let him go on the road, and so was his wife, Joanne. So, but when we toured and we played with the Buzzcocks, we opened for Joe Strummer, we opened Bodine's, Reavers, Squeeze, but, and oh, Mike Brenner played with us for a period of time too and made this. And we just laughed. I mean, we were just in a van laughing all the time. And I thought that's the way all bands were. And I found out later, no, there's other bands. They're incredibly miserable and don't communicate well. But during that golden period, we just played well and we just, you know, laughed a lot. And we got to do that with Tom too, as far as uh, Buzz. Yeah. Um, so uh, here's here's uh, another question um, that that I love uh, to to pick your brain on because you were you were there for it. Um, other than your own projects, uh, who from the you know the Philly scene back then do you think um, is unsung and deserve you know deserves some uh, focus on? Well, we'll always say Rich Kaufman of Electric Love Muffin. I mean, Rich wrote great songs you know uh he he just did he was like he was who i looked up to when i was playing and it was so weird because he came from abington but his the rhythm section were the campbell brothers and they came from horsham too and people had this idea that hapro horsham was like rock and roll high school because we wound up going on to bands and i was just like oh my gosh you guys are in a band and i saw them open for Husker Du, yeah, at like this crazy basement. And I just was like so impressed. I was like, I want to do that. That's and that's awesome. really, that was, that was a catalyst to play. That's so cool. That's so cool. Those little moments where it just clicks and you're like, this is, this is what I want to do. And you're still doing it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I still, still keep doing it. I don't know. It's a sickness, you know? It's like you say the ADD, sort of that. You're just like, I don't know. I got to play this guitar. Let me see if I can come up with something. You're still trying to write a good song. Yeah. Um, it, do, do, do you have one that you can pinpoint in your head that you're like, I nailed it? Like uh, in, in song-wise? Um, gosh. Nailed it. Um, I do like uh, Crush. I really like how that sounds. I just always like the, just because it is put together exactly um how I would like it, but you know, there's, there's been a lot of good stuff. You know? Yeah. Were you, do you, um, I kind of forgot to mention this, uh, working through the projects, but, um, do you, um, do you enjoy studio work or you, or do you prefer live? Like what's your, uh, depends. It depends. Like, you know, I, I gotta say, you know, recording with Adam Red Lazis, like, when we did these first songs that appear on this lost and found, we had recorded at K Jim is what that uh, EP, the flight of Mavis EP. And it was such a sterile environment. It was like, there weren't anything there. It was what you brought. That's what you got to play, you know? And, Oh, you want to keep it? Well, you're going to have to rent the keyboard from us, but you can do that. But when we recorded at reds, it was just like toys. See, it just nothing, but all these like, small amps all these boxes and you're just like you're trying stuff out even for the first time and yet it was going successfully so i love when it goes like that i love when it can go quick as far as that goes 
But when it like now it takes so long, it seems to record because you have everything and you have so many options before you used to do it. Look, you're going to record this in seven days. Whatever you do, you're going to have to live with it. Now you get to go, well, I want to change that. I want to change this. And you're just like, you know, but I always, I just like, I like playing live and it's good too. Yeah. On the uh, on the lost and found, did you did you guys uh, re-record anything or, or overdub anything new, or is it all the original stuff? Everything is original, um, original mixes except uh, these things has uh, Mike Brenner playing uh, lap steel. Okay, all right. He's one person who got to add something on top, and he did a great job. I was just going to say it's a it's a good person to add some flavor. Oh my gosh, absolutely. He's a he's a wealth of flavors. <laughs> um well, uh, we're working on 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 putting this all together and all. What 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 has it been like to kind of revisit, you know, essentially it's like a time machine like it's revisiting, yeah, you know, these sessions. Machine. Oh, it is. It's it's been good because I enjoy it. I actually like listening to it and it's so old, you didn't just spend the last months working on it and you're sick to death of it. Now you're just like, you're still like, you haven't heard it in a long time. So you're going, well, I can admire that we were able to put that together. And, you know, and a lot of different people, a lot of, you know, people, unsung people like Kevin Karg, Andrew Chalfin, Gus Kordovox of Ben Bowen. And uh, he plays on two songs and, it's just great to have all those Philly people all together on this thing. Oh yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's so cool. And I uh, like, uh, it was really unexpected. I mean, uh, Tyler sent it to me, uh, early, you know, the first song. Um, and I was just like, wait, we're doing this again. Cause let's do it. Let's, let's, let's bring it back. Like this is, this is amazing. I appreciate that. That's great. He was, he was so right to send it to you. That's excellent. He knows my sensibility. Well, <laughs> Yeah. Well, we got to find at least, uh, I don't know how many more people with your sensibility. Oh, they're out there. They're out there. Um, what, what has the reaction been like? Like, um, uh, cause I, I know you, you, like you have a, a strong fan base in this area. Like there are people, you know, like you said that, that flight of Mavis reunion show sold out in a day, right? Like that was like, mm -hmm. that was, uh, that was something to be able to go back and deal with that and play those songs because we didn't, I haven't played those things in so long as far as that goes. And to get that excitement, it's great. It's fun. It's, be, you know, you, you get that little time piece to go back and go, hey, that was, that was a lot of fun. That's cool. I'm, I'm like, I'm really... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you guys are getting to to kind of do this because, like, you know, a lot of times things go away and then you just kind of forget about them and stuff like that. And 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 like, you know, uh, just to like, I I'm uh, because of being the music nerd I am, I've always loved like B sides and unreleased stuff and and live yeah. cuts and alternate takes. So like, this is like this is amazing, and I'm so glad that you're presented with the opportunity to be able to put a project like this together yeah i appreciate it uh you know i'm very thankful for uh pat to get this idea that he it's a sickness for him too i mean it's just like it was our whole period of time you know doing things we have it's you know been a lot of fun that's so cool uh at this time you want to go through my little questionnaire that closes out all of these it's called the jauntlet i'll it give it a try yeah i looked at that i'm like all right all right here we go <laughs> 
It starts with the one hit wonders. First one, Billy Joel or Elton John? Who do you prefer? Oh, easy. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Joel guy, but I love uh, early Elton John. Sure. Awesome. Uh, Debbie Harry or Joan Chet? That's 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 tough. But I, I, I think it would be Debbie Harry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin is untouchable. Uh, but so is Tina. Tina Turner was like amazing too. But gosh, the songs that of Aretha and that voice. Eesh. Definitely. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana. Easy. My Pearl Jam knowledge is so non-existent. So is much of 90s music. I don't know. But Nirvana? Oh, my gosh. That jumped out. That's cool. Um, oh, w- one thing uh, uh, I got to no, jump back real quick. Uh, uh, so uh, one of the things that Spotify, um, set, you know, they do like those similar artists and all. And um, it had um, Miracle Legion listed for you guys. And I was like, oh, my God, that's like that would be like my dream build. Did you guys ever play with Miracle Legion at all? Or Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. They were great. We played with them at Dobbs. Oh, God. Oh my gosh! They were, and he was so nutty. Mark Mulcahy, who I actually got to sing background vocals with on a Matt Keating record, that was a moment for me. It's like, oh my god, that's Mark Mulcahy, and we're singing on the same mic here. All right, they're they're another one, much like you guys, who are, are just I feel like so underappreciated, like just oh beautiful songs. I am, yeah, I'm a huge fan, and I still listen to them a lot. I used to drive to our shows singing along to them. Because it was a great way to warm my voice up. And I just, you know, gosh, such good stuff. Killer. I love it. Uh, next one, uh, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks. Easy. <laughs> I don't know. That's enough. Enough said. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the big one, the cliche one, the Beatles or the Stones? I, you know what? No, there's no reason. There's no reason to choose. No. They're both to be enjoyed. And I do. I really do. But, you know, the Beatles were the first ones, but I love the Stones, too. Yeah. Um, did you hear the new Stones song that just came out today? Yeah, I did. I don't Sorry. know. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> A friend of mine said it perfectly. He was like, you know, of all the songs they've written in the past, uh, you know, however many years, the best ones on the album are always the ballads. So why would they go with this? And I was like, because they have to pretend to rock like this. Is- <laughs> always do. Yeah, but that last record they did, original, had that Rough Justice as their first song. And that was a great song. I like that song. But this one just made, all right, I get it. I see where it's going. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. No disrespect to the Stones either. Still doing it. Not at all. It's incredibly, actually, Dave told me yesterday, Dave McElroy, who played with us, and uh, he goes, yeah, you hear the Stones are coming out. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, why? And I'm just like, why not? Yeah. Hey, it's in their blood, man. They can't stop. Yeah. And they were halfway through something, so they go, this is it. There's certainly there's not going to be anything after this, besides all the extra stuff that's out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the last one, Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? Bohemian. Bohemian knocked you out. My gosh, I remember that on a 45 and just being, wow, this is just otherworldly and i just was so tired of stairway to heaven so early but it's not it's not awful i'm not saying that but yeah 
It's true. It's so true. Uh, the second second half of this is the top ten countdown. Um, of course, we use John to be whatever uh, we want it to be. So uh, it doesn't have to be music; can be anything you want. But uh, what was I was wondering about that? <laughs> there you go. All right. What is he asking exactly? All right. There you go. Yes, anything you want it to be. So number one, the first John. What was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were a kid? First thing again, it was no doubt music. That was my first obsession. Easy. By the time you know. Five, I was singing songs off the radio. How Do You Do by Matthew McNeil. There you go. All right. All right. Um, can you remember the uh, first album you bought with your own money? Yeah. Jim Croce, You Don't Mess Around With You. Heck yeah. I bought it. Where the heck was that? It was at that mall, Blair Mill Village Mall. It's a lot of money, but yeah. It's awesome. Uh, number two, what's your current, John? What are you into right now? What am I into now? I uh, it's not much different. I much I must say I, I just really you know I teach, and when you're looking for a little something to relax to, you know I just I still you know enjoy music, enjoy comedy, you know. Yeah. Um. What What do you teach? Uh, fourth grade. Nice. Arby. Yes. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. Um, do any of uh, your students know of your, your rock star past or, or current? Not really, but, uh, one time I had to pull a guitar out for something we were doing for a PSSA rally. And I had a father come up and say, you're the guy who plays guitar. I'm like, how do you know that? That's something. But you know, the kids now they could care less. I'm surprised their Googles didn't lend them. Uh... Uh, no, they really, you know, you keep thinking that they're going to do that. They really don't. They they got so many other things to do. The last thing they got to do is worry about me. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, number three, what was your first concert? What was the first live show you saw? Well, I'd like to lie and say it was uh, the Kiss Alive 2 tour, but it was actually uh, Tom Jones with my parents. Nice. Where at? Valley Forge Music Fair. <laughs> but no, it, my, that's what my parents had. They had a lot of Tom Jones records. And there was a lot of good Tom Jones, too. Yeah. Um, Tom Jones, uh, I will say, uh, I, I, I'm a, uh, I don't want to say I'm a big fan. I, I very much enjoy uh, some Tom Jones. But I will say, the worst cover of Yesterday I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> oh, is it really? I never heard that. And I heard a lot of Tom Jones. Wow. Is that a recent one or is that old? No, it was old. It's so overblown. Like he does it like a full on, like he's like peak Tom Jones in it. And it's just. Oh, really? He goes for it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Have not, to look that yeah. Check that out. Um, uh, number four, what was the last concert you saw? I was asking my wife and it's been a long time. I'll, I'll tell you, it, I guess it was Kurt Vile and the feelies opened up. It was great. And that was at the Met, and that was pre-COVID. And I was just so shocked. Gerard Avenue, there were all these people out. It was just so happening. And as soon as we sat down, the feelies came on. I, I couldn't have been happier. And Kurt Vile's great, too. Incredible. You know, that, that venue um, took me by complete surprise because I had known, I knew it had been there, and I don't, I hadn't been to a show there i forget what the first show i went to but like i was like wait we cleaned all this up like i was like so surprised by just how amazing it is that's how i was I, my jaw was i was just like what is this this is ridiculous but yeah. that's what the thing of philadelphia is and i just 
it's still not back to what it was before, but I still have hope. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number uh, five, what was your favorite concert? What was the best live show you ever saw? Favorite concert is so hard because I saw so many great people. Um, but I always remember seeing ACDC at the Tower Theater in 78 with Bon Scott. It might have been even 77. It was 78. But then again, you could say Cheap Jerk, too. Uh, there was so much good stuff. But, man, that had this show. Someone threw a sparkler at a curtain. It caught fire. No one left. And a roadie's climbing the amps, and they're not stopping playing. It was just like, for a 13-year-old, you were just going, this is as great as it gets. Unbelievable. Um, you you mentioned Cheap Trick, and I got to say, I also just today uh, listened to um, the uh, Buzz Zemer uh, Cheap Trick cover that is oh, floating around on the yeah. internet as well. Oh, no. Cheap Trick was the biggest for us. We love Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick at uh, Trenton War Memorial is the second. That was before Live at Budokan. They were amazing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, another one who I feel like very underrated, like... Uh, yeah, it's they work hard. The idea that they're still out there and they still keep doing it. Xander still sings great. You know, they're they're just amazing. Absolutely. Uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Otis Redding, right? Otis Redding. If I got to see what that was as, you know, you've seen video of it as far as that goes. But, oh, my gosh, that would have been amazing. But there's so much stuff. I was watching this. Lowell George uh, documentary last night. And I was just like, that guy, that guy was way talented. I would have loved to see him. Any the, number. Yeah, the uh, the Otis Redding, like uh, you watched that set that he did on uh, Monterey Pop uh, during right. the Monterey Pop Festival. And it, and he's like holding his own with like Hendrix and stuff. But, like it's just so, you can't take your eyes off of him. No, he kills it. That was right. From the first time I saw that at a young age, just like, Wow, this guy's crazy. You know, gosh, can't turn you loose. Him doing that live is one of the best. Absolutely. Uh, number seven, name an unappreciated John, something you wish had more shine to it. Oh, NRBQ. NRBQ was also just a big thing to us. It just, we love that band. You got to see him in a club. You got to see him in Chestnut Cabaret. Terry Adams is just a genius. And without a doubt, one of my heroes. Hey, but then you could say the same for the replacements. They're they're in the same like they had that whole '90s period of time. They had all that grunge and whatever. What we liked was the replacements and NRBQ. That was what mattered to us. Did you ever get to play with either? Yeah. Well, we got to play with NRBQ many times and uh, replacements. No, we didn't play. But I had uh, Tommy Stinson slept over my house and uh, Slim Bob. Slim stayed over our house, who was just the ultimate house guest. He was such a nice guy. That's so cool. I just saw uh, Tommy back in June or July doing a solo acoustic opening for Nicole Atkins, and man, he still has it. Yeah, gosh, yeah. I saw some recent stuff too. His voice sounds great. Yeah, I actually um, uh, watch watch me plug myself. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, uh, <laughs> I, I I put up um, match made his uh, match made in hell um, uh, from that show, um, and it's just it's stellar. Wow, I gotta check that out. I'll send you the link. Cool. <laughs> um, number eight. What's your favorite album? That's another one. There's no reason to pick a favorite album. You can't do it. You can't. There's no way. It all depends on whatever the day 
the hour because I have there's just so many you can just put on you go oh my gosh that thing it's just utterly perfect but there's many of them that's fair. The, there you go I understand like I, I I've said it a few times it's a shit question I know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to say that but I just don't. like everyone's so obsessed with lists I'm just like who cares who cares you know it's just there's no reason it's enjoy true. 100%. I I totally agree. Uh number even though it's my question. Uh number nine, <laughs> number 9 uh name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release. Who do I get anything they release? I'm just even looking around. Who do I get anything? Oh my gosh. Pretty much I you know but a lot of them have been around too long. So you know like you're saying about the Stones. Well sure I'm interested in everything that comes out. But do I, am I waited with bated breath? Not so much as far as that goes. And, you know, Beach Boys have so much great stuff, but you're not going, oh my gosh, I can't wait for a new Brian Wilson record or anything like that. So I do have collections, but I just don't, I don't think I'm waiting for anything, actually. I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. It always um, gets to a certain point. You know, it's sort of like you were talking my two years thing. There's a lot of pe- groups that have their five, four records that are just great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. Like, I, I feel like there's uh, there's a, a certain period of time where you're just locked in and like, you know, like there aren't distractions like that's your that's your thing. And, and, and oh. that's and then once once expectation and stuff starts creeping in and that's exactly it. That's it. But boy, is it great when all of a sudden you go, oh, my gosh, I got a new record from my favorite artist and I get to put it on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah there, there, there's your music. geek. Yeah. It's so true. There's also the uh, the the fear that first time you hear something from your favorite artist that doesn't hit, and you're just like, oh, okay, um, maybe it's me. That's right. You're just going, oh, like you know, I, you, when you have your skeletons and stuff. I always say, you know, they had the Kiss Dynasty record was like finding out there's no uh, Santa Claus. It was just like this just is awful, and I know it's awful. No. I, I have to tell you, and I, I'm pretty sure I've told this on this podcast before, but uh, Gene Simmons hit on my wife in front of me um, at a comic book convention. <laughs> oh, way. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah. That's a- it, yeah. Uh, so so now every time, and I was like a huge Kiss fan when I was a little kid. And also, like, it was just like one of those moments where, like, I don't know how to feel right now. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my gosh. That's a great moment. Yeah, he uh, he looked her up and down from head to toe, and he was like, "I like this," and I was like, "What the fuck, man!" Like, That's amazing. Oh my gosh, he is a class act, isn't he? Yeah, the best. Yes, the best. Oh my god. Uh, number ten, the last one of the top ten countdown. What is your favorite John of all time? Ah, uh, my family. Take that. It's the truth. It's the greatest. That's Ab- the best. Absolutely. That's- Best thing was finding out when you had kids, you go, oh, I don't have to think about myself so much. Oh, it's the best. Um, how many kids? Two kids, two boys. Very cool. Do they yeah. play? No. And I could care. I never was a big person pushing them into anything because I go, there was so much like, I like that I had the choice, you know, to do whatever I wanted. But I was never like, you know, hey, play guitar with your father. You know, there was a, maybe a certain period of time they picked it up, but neither one really, you know, got into it so much. They're gamers. 
Okay, that's cool. Hey, they, look, that's that's the new rock star, man. Like that's I, what it is. That's what I mean. That's the modern thing. What we had, we had all this stuff as far as music. We did our games. We had punk. That was it. Yeah, I mean, like I look at the. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, and Mattel football. Oh yes, definitely. Uh, but but yeah, I look, I look at like some of these these streamers and like the the amount of people that watch their stuff and the amount of money they're making. I'm just like, you're bigger than any band I like right now. Exactly. There you go. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's it's so true. <laughs> Um, so, um, this is actually going to be in the future. So I'm going to speak about Friday as if it's the past. Um, so lost and found, uh, came out on September 8th. Uh, tell these uh, good folks where they can track a copy down. Oh, absolutely. Go to main street music and pick up your copy there. That is the best way to get a hold of this, but there's ways to get it through Bandcamp. There's ways to get it in any number of places out there. It's going to be available all over. And, uh, you know, as this singles are already streaming, actually, I would I'm not even sure because I haven't checked. I can't look back to see if the whole record is streaming at this point. I'm not sure if we're holding off on that, but I would go get the vinyl. That's what I'd do. I'd go right to Main Street and go, I demand my vinyl. Absolutely. And uh, two different variants on the vinyl, uh, including the beautiful red one, which I myself will be ordering because it looks fucking nice, man. Yes, it is. It is. I, I got the red one myself. I am so happy with it. Every time I pull it out, I am happy with it. I'm happy with the cover, which is something in itself. There's many covers that I look at and I go, oh, no, you know, but that one is it just it makes sense. It's cool. Was uh, was any of the um, Mavis stuff or any of the earlier Bud, Buzz Zemer stuff on vinyl? Uh, yeah, the first uh, Flight of Mavis was vinyl. Yeah, that was vinyl in its infancy. It's not the return vinyl. Is it, we don't, I don't, I think we still have a box of it, so I don't think we have to re-release it or anything. (laughs) That's cool. Um, So what was it like, um, kind of, you know, you said you you were listening to these songs on iPods. How did it feel the first time you dropped a needle on it? Like, that had to have sounded great. That was, yeah, that was great. That is a really cool moment as far as that goes. (laughs) Like anything, because, you know, we're vinyl heads, and I, it was, I'd never imagined those songs being on vinyl i was just like this is great let alone to have it as this whole collection it's super cool and i'm so glad uh, you're getting to to put this out and i'm so glad uh that you took the time uh to come talk to me today uh about the project uh frank thank you so much not just for doing this show and all that but for uh, creating incredible art and for being such an enormous part um uh of this uh, music scene in this area and and uh creating music that i love so thank you thank you so much nate and thank you for helping to get the word out My many thanks again to Frank for joining me on the show today. The Buzz Zemer release Lost and Found is available now on all streaming services and is available on vinyl through their Bandcamp at buzzzemer.bandcamp.com and in-store at Main Street Music in Maniunk. Links to all of those are in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And guys, it is never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. 
Don't forget to visit www.yothat'smyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight into your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter X at yo that's my John and search yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Join me next week for my interview with Sean Hennessy. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be. Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>